Welcome to the 11th episode of the Tech Gypsies podcast. Woo. Um, we, yeah. Um, you are who? Uh, Kim Lang. And you are 44 years old this week. Yeah, I'm fucking old. And I'm Audrey Waters, and I'm older. Oh, yeah. No, we're the same age. Okay. Sure. I like that. Happy For another birthday. month, we're the same age. What a week. Yeah. Uh, I hardly know where to begin. Um, Tuesday, I dropped you and the kid off at Grave Creek, which is just outside of Grants Pass, Oregon. And the two of you walked 40 plus miles along the Rogue River towards the Oregon coast, where I picked you up um, several days later. Yes. Yeah, it was... uh quite a hike um if you're unfamiliar with the rogue river canyon i mean you can look at the drone recovery.org site shortly i'm sure there'll be photos but uh it's very canyon region it's um it's a very popular whitewater rafting uh destination so there's uh quite a few rafts floating by um but the the trail tends to hover um you know 50 to 100 feet above the the river it does go down from time to time but uh yeah 40 miles of of kind of straddling the canyon wall trying to uh go forward carrying a drum yes carrying a a, i don't know how much it weighs but yeah a 30 to 50 pound drone in my hand um which uh i switch out every 30 seconds um with each arm for uh 40 miles yeah, sounds like woo fun. To quote the rafters, woo! <laughs> well, so you went into the woods on Tuesday and came out Friday evening, and um, lots actually had happened while you were away. Um, lots both sort of politically and professionally in your world. So we'll start with, um, I'll start with your take on the first of the series of events that happened, which was, Twilio had its IPO. Yeah, um, that's, um, I guess, long time coming. Um, I mean, Twilio is the darling of the API space. Um, they're the, the, you know, other than Amazon, I would say they're, they're one of the most referenced API companies of how to do it right. Um, and I would say, you know, um, I have to give it to, to Jeff Lawson, the, the CEO, for for going the long haul to the IPO rather than um, some of the, the, the more quicker exits uh, I've seen from other API companies. And apparently they're doing pretty good. It was pretty well received by the market. But um, I think Twilio is a pretty, when it comes to an API, I think it's, it's, it's a little more clear what they do because they're a telco send, you know, messaging, uh, voice, telephone calls, dealing with phone numbers. So some pretty proven concepts that are just wrapped in an API. So um, I think the fact that they're a darling, the fact that it's fairly clear, um, uh, you know, kind of landed them fairly well on on the market. So they have, I mean, they have a clear, they have a clear um, (laughs) revenue model. Unlike a lot of these companies that we've seen, tech companies, that are free to use um, Facebook, 
LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, um, that have to sort of struggle to figure out how they're going to make money by selling user data. Um, Twilio, you know, you get charged per message, per call. So Twilio has a clearer business model in some ways that makes it a an easier to sort of figure out company. I think I had heard when they filed for IPO that they were hoping to trade at around $15 a share, but um, they opened it to almost $24 a share and the stock, uh, you know, increased, um, I think it, um, it increased over the course of the week. So um, yeah, it seems like a, it's not just the first big tech IPO of the year, um, the first, um, clearly big API IPO since uh, Apogee um, and uh, but uh, a successful one at that. Yeah, um, it makes me happy. Congrats to to them and uh, congrats to my friends who hopefully were all st- were still vested. Not all are still there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a positive sign, I guess, from the API space. Yeah, well and the other news and the other big news. I mean, you really chose one hell of a week as um, to 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 be away the um, from from the internet. So good for you. Well, um, not really planned, but <laughs> well timed nonetheless. The other big news was um, an acquisition. Yeah, um, another um, company I I dig um, and I care about a lot is Three Scale got acquired by Red Hat. So um, 3Scale is one of the last OG API management providers. I mean, really the um, the first three were Mashery, Apogee, and 3Scale. And so Mashery was acquired by Intel. Intel. Apogee has... Well, Mashery was resold oh, by can... Intel to Tibco oh, also. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, and, but, and then Apogee... IPO'd. IPO'd and their stock is trading at less than half of what Twilio's is. I just looked that up. Yeah, so, cool. Sorry, folks. Yeah, Apogee was was um, just not as much tangible t- thing there. Right. Um, but I couldn't have think of a better um, acquisition uh, t- or player than than Red Hat. I mean, Red Hat um, is is a good company. You know, it's it's uh, open source. It's uh, you know they're pretty smart and and good people trying to you know what I do what I would consider is kind of you know real solid tech um, at the enterprise level, and um, which I I can't count that many companies who who really do honest open source enterprise grade tech. They're kind of known mostly for Linux, right? Yeah, I mean their 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 distribution of, of Linux, mm-hmm. um, the OS. But they've really gotten into middleware and a lot of you know like um, the the whole moving to the cloud, the containerization, all of that. And really, what this is is um, to quote uh, the Amazon uh, Stefano from the AWS Gateway team. Um, you know, this is really the the commoditization of API management, which really should just be. Um, baked into the cloud and part of the cloud, which I agree. Um, You know, and I've long, one of the reasons I've really supported 3Scout early on is they had that free tier that allowed people to play and try to understand this as we were all trying to understand what are APIs, how do we do this, and they've long been that player. But um, unfortunately, I mean, it's making it this 
commoditization has made it really hard to, um, I think, grow and scale as the VCs wanted because this is basically needs to be given away to everybody as part of you know your your basic cloud offering, and so this is really just Red Hat just building up uh, their stack um, as I see it and. It makes me happy. Um, you know, three scale. If you're not familiar, we're my major partner um, in crime for the last five years, four years. Um, and this is who you sort of did your conference with. Yeah, and so I did API Strat, um, API Strat Strategy and Practice Conference with. Um, I supported them for quite a few years, and then the tables turned um, around the time we were in DC, and they um, went all in supporting me. And making it so we could do what we do. So um, I'm super happy for their team. I'm super happy for Steve and everybody, and um, that there was a, a positive exit. And with with what I would say would be the the right team, because there's there's several other companies out there I won't name that um, shop around and want to buy things that I, I would not have been happy if Three Scale had sold. To yeah, there, I, I mean, have, there's uh, the buy it and kill it people. Yeah. on one hand and buy, then there's the buy it and just sort of strangle it slowly so to yeah, death kill it in the corner because because yeah. you just want their customers and you don't want them in business so yeah that that made me very happy and um yeah i would say it's a good week i would say for the 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 maturing and stabilization um of the api world as it continues to go mainstream i would say so um makes me happy so one of the things that I, uh, there are many things that I like about the three scale team, but one of the things that I like about them is that they're um, headquartered, um, well, in two two places, but one of their headquarters is in probably one of my favorite cities in Europe. And many members of the three scale team are live in Barcelona. Many are Spanish but many are from other countries in Europe. This is something that the EU really affords for any European citizen to be able to work, live and work in any European country. Um, and uh, I think Steve is, is Steve British? Steve is British. I believe so. <laughs> um, I think he's San Franciscan now, but yeah. But he has a, yes. But I think that what happened this week in the other story that we want to talk about, I think calls into question this sort of what the, what the future of many European tech startups, I mean, this is, you know, what the future of many tech European tech startups, what the future of education in Europe is going to look like. And that was um, the vote on Thursday, um, the UK voted to leave the EU. Yeah. I mean, I mean this I, was the one where you came out of the woods and I was like, the whole world changed. Yeah, I mean, that's just, fuck. I mean, what a self-centered, just, I mean, it, it, it's it's just such a blow to, I think, what, you know, the, the healing that's been going on for a couple generations in Europe and um, it's just super, super damaging to, I mean, I, I, you know, yes, the economy and all that, but just the, you know, to the people and, and to the average people, what this does. And it's just so self-centered and such a short-sighted, uneducated 
vote, I would say. It doesn't even feel real to me, but... Well, um, I suppose I should add the asterisk that I think that there is... There are a lot of questions about how real this will be. I mean, I think that um, certainly the conservatives, the the Tories, um, gambled the future of their country based on an internal spat in their party. Um, David Cameron, one of those gamblers at the table, has already said that he will resign as prime minister. He was not in support of of leaving, but was wanted to do anything in power or anything, I think, to keep himself and his party in power and I think let those on the right, others on the right who have a more um, xenophobic response to various situations in Europe sort of bring this to the bring this to the forefront, one of whom um, being, of course, Boris, Boris Johnson. Um, for me, this is, I mean, I think personally, uh, personally, I'm, I, I'm lovely. I forgot to say, we're in a hotel, this time in North Bend. Anyway, personally, I'm very sad. Um, I have a British passport and having the knowing that I too could sort of live anywhere in Europe work in Europe was um, has always been sort of a plan a strong plan B stronger you know more or less at different times of my life certainly thinking about um, you know as as I grow older where is it that I want to sort of where is it that I want to be and I've always thought that I would return at some point for some duration to Europe. So, I mean, and that's a, it's a loss that sounds, it's such a privilege. I mean, for me, it's such a privileged thing to say, I can't, now I can't move to Barcelona. Well, I mean, I could. Your options are just narrowed. I mean, you can. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think for so many people, so many people that I know and work with, I think that a lot of their their livelihood, their their children's future, their children's ability to sort of move around freely, um, is is in question now, and I think that it it does feel um, it to me. Europe has always been, <laughs> and again, this is a storybook Europe. It's not necessarily the real Europe, but the storybook Europe has been a cosmopolitan Europe. Um, you know, I'm. I'm the granddaughter of people who fought in World War II. I'm, I'm a generation or two removed from the great, great divisions across the country that led to two consecutive world wars. And I feel as though the rest of the 20th century, you know, we talked a little bit, you and I talked a little bit about this later, the sort of, the way in which this is sort of rewriting a history as well, you know, the efforts of conservative icons like Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher to create a European commonwealth, to create a shared marketplace, and then um, eventually to, you know, to have a shared currency and some shared governance has been a long-running project of, of Europe. And I think that the fact that it has Failed is questions of fails, a failure of bureaucracy, 
um, the rise of of xenophobia, I think, is often ways in which poor, the working class, are, um, are, are told that the reason that the economy, the reason the economy doesn't work for them is not that the structure of capitalism is necessarily exploitative. That's not the message. The message isn't that the bankers care more about lining their own pockets. That's rarely the message. The message is that brown people from other, from Eastern Europe, from Africa, from Asia, are somehow taking their jobs is is seen as the culprit. And I mean, I think that we are, we hear, we certainly hear echoes of that in the U.S. And I, I truly fear Despite earlier in the week, you know, there were some signs that the Trump campaign was really not, had really not sort of, didn't have the infrastructure, didn't have the money to actually be able to fight the deeper pockets of, of the Democratic um, presumptive candidate. But now, I don't know. I mean, I think that this, that this is, that this is a lot more complicated and I think that people people are making these gestures, these symbolic gestures of voting that are anti-establishment. And it's hard to not look at the way in which the 1% has ruled the world, ruled England in particular, um, and say, well, I mean, I kind of get, I kind of get why you, I kind of get why you're angry. Yeah. Even, Even though, you know, I think, you know, great, the UK has voted, people were saying, oh, they want their country back. Trump is, you know, England voted to get their country back. Well, actually, probably what we'll see now if things step forward is the collapse, actually the the dissolution of the United Kingdom. Scotland, which voted to remain, will certainly pursue independence again. There are rumors now that Northern, that, you know, elements will be pushing again for North, for Ireland to be reunited. Um, and I can't help but think of the the violence that we'll see that has diminished over the last couple of decades. This resurgence in nationalist violence there um, just makes me incredibly sad. Um, but, you know, the UK has voted alongside in agreement with most measures that the EU has passed. It's not as though the, the UK has been sort of at odds with the EU. But again, these decisions are all the decisions made by the 1%. And I think that people feel as though, even though, you know, that the that the establishment, whatever the establishment looks like, whatever you see the establishment looking like, you know, whether you recognize that Donald Trump is also the establishment, Boris Johnson is also the establishment. Um, I think that a lot of people do feel as though they simply are not, they're, you know, they aren't being represented by the people in power. I mean, I, I mean, the echoes of this, like you said, within our election, I mean, I just hope people kind of heed, heed the, the, you know, I hope the Brexit doesn't happen. I hope they have another vote and they can like heal from this and figure it out. But I hope we learn from this in our election and, and take the threat seriously of, of what, what is happening with the whole Trump thing? Because it had, you know, I, I mean, 
left left the left makes me want to vomit most of the time too whether it's you know a lot a lot of what what the whole clinton oh, industrial complex represents or left. yeah but i know what you mean you know yeah. it's liberals like, you mean what liberals make you want yeah, to vomit. liberals sorry the Liber- left the left is slightly different yeah no i agree um but liber- you know liberal politics makes me want to vomit but you know the 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 ability for these people these these poor people to be used as puppets by the one percent over here and over there um it's just super super dangerous and super scary stuff like we have to work together we're in this fucking world together and all the work that went into bringing the eu together yes it's not perfect but it has a lot of benefits and i don't think these people realize what they're going to do away with and i think similarly over here i mean i hear people you know, want to do away with government. Want well, to do, you know, and they people just don't that want understand. isolationism, right? Yeah. The people that say so dangerous. We don't. The U.S. shouldn't be the world's police. So we should have. We should restrict who comes into the country. Um, we should not. We should have higher tariffs. We shouldn't have free trade. And I agree that it. You know, on one hand, like the, it's it's really complicated, and some of the things that were promised associated with free trade some of the things that have been promised around keeping the world safe were sort of bald-faced lies but on the other hand i don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle like i don't know how you become how you how you you can't not be a a globally connected World or you cannot be a globally connected country in 2016. I mean, I guess you can. You can look like North Korea, I suppose, right? You could, but (laughs) where? What does that get you in terms of access to the things that Britons really like? I mean, Britons really like their French cheese, right? They really like German cars. They really like things. They really like their vacations in Barcelona they like to go to Ibiza they you know and they like to take advantage of those things easily and at a at a tariff free would you say the next James Bond movie was gonna be oh what was it uh 111 minutes of him stuck in passport control (laughs) at Charles de Gaulle (laughs) exactly it's uh I mean yeah I just and I I mean it's it's super dangerous it's it's and and it's super uneducated and then the people who don't get out and vote i feel like you know um are are feeling pretty shitty at this point and i hope i mean that's what i hope we learn in in the trump election that people step up and for trump election jesus in the presidential election sorry my brain after 40 miles on the trail my brain is mush this week so i'm not gonna be that that much uh on point but uh i just hope we learn because this is serious shit i mean we can't roll back we can't go backwards we can barely move forwards in all this one of the things i think that's really striking and the the leave campaign readily admitted it on election night that they had told some again utter lies to the public as part of their as part of their campaign they said for example that the 350 million pounds that the UK pays to the EU is a membership that they would funnel back into um, national health care. And that's simply not true. I mean, these same people have 
the, the Tories have worked to dismantle the national health system in, you know, in the UK for, for decades now. Um, there's not going to be money. Like, this isn't, this money is not going to somehow reinvigorate the British economy. Yeah. Um, and they admitted that it was a lie. And I feel as though, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of lies that get told by Donald Trump. There are a lot of lies that get told by politicians of all, you know, of all affiliations. But we have a media, we have media entities that actually further those lies, that are in the business of peddling those lies. Um, many of them are owned by Rupert Murdoch, right, who is responsible for a lot of the trashiest newspapers in the UK that, again, have on their covers, I mean, absolute total lies. Um, of course, Rupert Murdoch also owns Fox News. Oh, interesting. I mean, this is, you know, and, and when Donald Trump went to Scotland this week, proudly announced to visit his new golf course and said something about, you know, he was so excited to be there right after the Brexit that the country had decided to, you know, take its country back. And everyone in Scotland, if you want to learn some new cuss words, <laughs> the Scots had quite the cuss words for Donald Trump. But he immediately met with Rupert Murdoch. And I think that, you know, what do we do about, what do we do about the media that is, that doesn't call out the lying, that perpetuates the lies? Um, and for me, I think, you know, what is, the, what is the role of education here? That we have clearly, you know, a large, a large portion of the population that, that you said uneducated, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know if that's quite the right adjective, but there's certainly something about gullibility, a lack of critical thinking, a lack of sort of media literacy, um, people that sort of haven't thought about some of these deeper questions and don't ask better questions of their, not just of their leaders, but of, of the of the media. And I think there's a role of, of you know, ending on that, the role of the media, like, they they hold some responsibility here. I mean, because, I don't know, just briefly looking at the numbers for the Trump campaign, um, he seems pretty fucking made by the media, and he's riding the wave of this press that he's getting because they're getting the page views, and they're getting the eyeballs, and they're getting the commenters, and the trolls, and all the people. This is This is gold. And but really, when you start digging beyond that, as far as what actual substance is here for a proven actual campaign, the money, the people behind it, all of that, it's there's a lot of nothing there. I mean, it's pretty pretty vapor. Well, and then I mean, what do we make of the fact that people don't actually care? Like, I honestly think that there's a good number of Trump supporters who they don't care. They don't. They see him as a symbolic figure. They don't care what he stands for. They make, you know, they don't care that he's not, for example, a, a Christian, practicing Christian. They don't care that he's had conflicting beliefs. They don't care that he's. They they are swept away by this other sort of. Well, I mean, in many ways, sort of the xenophobic populism, 
that to me is really frightening. I mean, I think on one hand, we have sort of cosmopolitanism, pluralism, multiculturalism, the notion that sort of as, as you know, we are getting better at understanding and um, living with a multitude of, of, of cultures and, and peoples and recognizing the importance of diversity. Um, and then on the other hand, again, this sort of, um, this sort of embracing a xenophobic populism as, as the way to, instead of addressing what I think are sort of some of the socioeconomic grievances that people actually have. Well, I mean, populism is all about the moment. It has nothing to do with moving forward towards a future or a better anything. It's just about getting people fucking worked up in the now to get, get you know, to make these land grabs and these political power plays. It has nothing to do with moving, um, governing actual millions of people and, and taking care of people, making sure people have health care and, and we have roads and all that shit. Yeah. Well... That was really an uplifting, uplifting podcast. <laughs> hey, it started APIs. It yeah, no, that's uplifting. right, actually. And you, you had a birthday, and you, you had a great you, and the kid had an amazing accomplishment. Um, so all told, great week. Yeah, I mean, I I keep secretly coming out of those last few turns in the trail, hoping hoping I'll come out and everything will be fixed. And it, Trump will be gone, but it doesn't seem so. I don't really get my way, but that's okay. I'll manage. Yeah. Well, until next week then. Mm-hmm.